Hey, Merry Good Morning, Good Afternoon, Good Evening. My name is Sean. This is Alex. And you're listening to another episode of Coaster Kings Radio. This week's episode discusses B&M and our new manufacturer highlights or showcase. Yeah. Um, obviously one of the biggest and best known roller coaster manufacturers out there, perhaps one of the most loved. We're going to dive into everything B&M, its upcoming, its product lines, our favorites, some highlight coasters. We obviously can't do this episode without discussing. So, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to discussing that. After we did our Intamin showcase, I thought that went really well. The next obvious step was to do B&M. Uh, B&M was born out of, of course, the Intamin-Giovanoa partnership. Giovanoa would build and design rides, and Intamin was the sort of like a subcontractor. They handled the marketing and stuff. It was it was a very symbiotic relationship that saw the development of some really amazing and iconic rides, like free fall rides, um, the Swiss Bob, and uh, in this case, most importantly, the development of the box-style track bed system for Z-Force at Six Flags Great America in 1985. Also known as Flashback at Flashback Magic, Magic Mountain. Mountain. Uh, as well as the stand-up coasters. Why stand-up coasters? Well, that was just the flavor of the week. Uh, Japan was taking the world by storm with their stand-up coasters, so... If there was ever an opportunity to break into a market, it was to be the other company that builds stand-up coasters. Walter Bolgar and Claude Mabillard left Giovanola in 1987 during a management shakeup and took their track design with them. Now, Circus Good America's relationship with Walter and Claude from the installation of Z-Force inspired the park to employ B&M on their first solo projects, uh, which were new vehicles for the Intamin slash Giovanola bobsled coaster being relocated to the park in 1989. Circuit America then asked B&M to build a coaster like the stand-ups that they built with Intamin, and then two years later we would make history in the industry with opening their first inverted coaster. Yes, of course. Um, so obviously the, the, the only natural place to start our B&M conversation, um, aside from discussing the bobsled vehicle for Rolling Thunder, uh, would be the stand-up coaster. And of course, the beginning of the stand-up coaster conversation is... Iron Wolf at Six Flags Great America in 1990, um, which would later be relocated to Six Flags America, where it reopened as Apocalypse. Um, stand-up coasters, I think, have two distinct eras. The original B&M and Intamin stand-ups, for that matter, um, were at most, like, had two inversions. The Intamin ones were really just a vertical loop and a lot of meandering around. Iron Wolf was the first B&M stand-up. Uh, and the first Intamin, well, not Intamin, it was the first stand-up coaster of that style to employ a corkscrew. So for Iron Wolf, that was kind of like what made that particular installation different. It was B&M's leap up against uh, the Giovanola Intamin stand-up coasters that were still very much in production and actually um, saw installations into the 90s. And then the first other additional stand-up coasters thereafter were pretty much remixes of Iron Wolf. Like, the, the early, like, Vortex coasters at the Paramount Parks were just loop, corkscrew Green Racker, Carol things. Wins, yep. Yeah, they were all basically, like, the other King's Entertainment Parks that didn't get Togo stand-up coasters. They waited and ended up getting better rides uh, that are actually still open. Um... The only stand-up coaster that I think people can universally agree on is Riddler's Revenge being 
the best, being amazing. Being the big boy, being the boss. It's really the co- the coaster to talk about when you talk about a stand-up coaster in terms of like quality of experience. And we ourselves are quite fond of it. Obviously, we've ridden all of them, um, all the big ones, and all the smaller ones even, too, I believe. Yeah, I think we've ridden every b I don't think we're missing a single one, and it's... It's obvious that Village Avengers is that much better. It's born out of a necessity to kind of work its way around existing infrastructure that was already at Sickless Magic Bound, but also kind of coming last in the whole range of that product type and kind of already, you know, existing after major rides open, such as Kumba, for example, and um, other major B&M loopers that kind of paved the way for a bunch of different kinds of elements. And so we're so much later in, in modern designing that by the time Village Avengers opened, the stand-up coaster could just do so much more. It was just mm-hmm. spectacular what it could do. It's ironic because Riddler weaves around not one but two Intamin Gia Vanilla rides. That or they did, gone. and now both of them are gone. Um, Riddler's Revenge is sort of like the third take of the larger stand-up coaster pedigree, uh, which began with the the first of the big stand-ups, which was Mantis at Cedar Point. It was the first stand-up coaster with, like, a dive loop. Like, they really started... They really shook up the stand-up coaster formula um, with that ride. Shockwave at uh, Drayton Manor, the last intimate stand-up, was also the first intimate... Uh, the first stand-up coaster to have more than just a handful of inversions. And the only one that I've ever... And the only one with a zero-G roll. But B&M. And then, after Mantis, Chang at Kentucky Kingdom took the... Basically took the same basic Mantis layout and kind of redid the back end of it, threw another corkscrew in there. Instead of doing, like, an Iron Wolf-style figure-eight configuration, like like on Mantis, it, it they kind of pulled it out and exaggerated it and did, did that second corkscrew. And then Riddler's Revenge took Chang a step further and did the second dive loop and did, like, the even more exaggerated uh, final break run back half bit. Um, but as for, like... Mantis and, and a few others, I think the most interesting thing to happen in the context of stand-up coasters in the last few years hasn't been stand-up coasters at all. It's been taking stand-up coasters and making them um, into floorless coasters. And with, with, I think, a reasonable amount of success, we love Rougarou. We think Rougarou is perhaps our favorite floorless coaster. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Patriot turned out so well. Uh, Vortex... Obviously, it was a bit of a mess because the older beginning oh, stand-ups, it just, you know, they kind of railed themselves apart towards the end. And I didn't have the privilege and the excitement of being the last public Fortex train ever, and I was really hyped for <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, but then I did think Patriot was a really good fit. Uh, Patriot runs great. The nice thing is that the center of gravity on these coasters are a little bit elevated because they used to be stand-ups. So the way that the track was designed is for your heart to be, you know, elevated compared to most usual coaster trains. So in order to do that with the, with the Florida's conversions, those Florida's trains are actually elevated. So they are the taller Florida's trains than the regular Florida's yeah, trains are. That's higher um, we haven't ridden Firebirds yet, but Looking obviously the layout is really fun. So I think I'm it's forward to seeing how that's going to feel. But based mm-hmm. on River and Patriot, it's going to be kind of like a middle-sized version. I'm really excited. Yeah, I, I like Apocalypse, and I like, obviously, Patriot. We love Rougarou. I think Firebird is a cool choice. I like that Six Flags went through the trouble. Even with the sort of lukewarm response from Ruru and Patriot in some circles, I like that Six Flags still went forward with Firebird. I will be honest, I really hope Vortex at Carowinds gets this kind of makeover. I think that would be fun. I think Georgia Scorcher, even though Georgia Scorcher is a great stand-up, that was the last one. That was the last B&M stand-up. The stand-up coaster it is funny that that for part, B&M 
it came as and went. a stand-up, but not, not a kind of blooper. Yeah. You know, I mean, it has an invert, of course, and a really classic Schwarzko outfit. Yeah. It kind of feels like, and I guess it has Blue Hog. But yeah. in a way, to me, I feel like it could have just been a Florida Zorba. Like I said, yeah, well, still been really because cool. that one is, that one, it's funny because Shock, like Riddler was, you know, the big, big stand-up. And then for Scorcher, the following year, they went back to the, like, Iron Wolf Vortex sort of It's funny because it update. really does feel like Iron Wolf and it's, Layoutiness. It just feels like a modern Riddler. Yeah, like a if Riddler modern, had a child with yeah, Iron like Wolf, a, you know? a really uh, optimized version. Um, but yeah, kind of a funny, like very petite little B&M for a Six Flags park to build in 1999. But I think that would be a fun candidate for a floorless coaster. But yeah, at the time, like Six Flags Over Georgia had Mindbender, they had Ninja, and they had Viper. They had their little Schwarzkopf Cop shuttle loop, too. So they didn't need another like sit-down coaster and I guess hell or high water they were going to build a stand-up coaster even if it wasn't going to be even though it was a very similar ride to like what Carowinds had already had for seven years they were still going to do it um but that being said with our, the floorless coaster conversation overtaking um the stand-up coaster I think that would be a great segue into our next category of B&M coasters sure let's discuss. call floorless coasters so obviously the first floorless coaster is the um, you know Medusa as Clark's Great Adventure now, this year, 2022, getting relaunched as Medusa once again after its bizarro window from 2009 all the way to 2021. Yep. Um, I can't believe I had to think of last year's <laughs> year. It's one of those I thought about it, too. I was like, they, <laughs> was this the year where everything was closed, or was that two years ago? Yeah, right? Like, when the year never ends. <laughs> like the um, and 2000, we kind of dubbed now, um, the year later, as the year before. Year before so Medusa you know, paved the way over in New Jersey, and then a year later, everyone in Mother yeah. was getting one. So, of course, mm-hmm. the big ones we can think of is... Um, Superman Escape from uh, sorry, Superman, Superman Krypton, Krypton Coaster, Medusa, Medusa at Six Kingdom, Kingdom, Joggle Lakes, uh, Batman Night Flight, Kraken at Sea World, which you just wrote today, actually. Wrote today. My brother in law, it was really fun. Um, but yeah, the class of 2000 BM for those coasters, I think, are iconic. Um, and they all. They were they all they all are very evenly spread out, you know, distributed uh, across the country, and um, are cult classics to this day. I mean, Medusa at Discovery Kingdom is still the tallest and fastest coaster in Northern California. Like that hasn't changed. Um, Dominator, of course, is still a great asset to King's Dominion, being their only B and M coaster. Um, with you know, Busch Gardens Williamsburg having. The B&M trio. It was nice for King's Dominion to get a B&M finally. Um, Superman Krypton Coaster, I feel like it never lives up to my expectations as much but as I want to I don't think it. you really ride it for the intensity level. <laughs> you ride it for the views. Yeah, like Being on the quarry wall. Yes. And I still find it quite interesting that they had this quarry wall to work with. And somehow a superhero-themed Floris Coaster is what they went with. I mean, a Floris Coaster diving off the cliffs would be really cool, but... I always kind of think that's such a unique aspect. You don't really need a superhero to market it, especially on the park where there weren't really any superhero rides to begin with. Yeah. So it was kind of like this weird standout, like singular superhero coaster, which usually most parks will start with their superhero thing. It's usually always Superman that goes first, like when Discovery Kingdom finally made the switch yeah. in 2012 to the first DC character-themed ride. It was, you know, downhill from there, but <laughs> obviously that was all Superman-themed. Yeah. So Krypton Coaster, um, I like the ride. I like the ride, but I, I don't think it's it's... As good as the other Florida coasters, yeah, because of its pacing issues, but it's still a really fun, pleasant ride. I just think like having Kraken nearby. I feel like Kraken has the pacing that I wish Krypton Coaster had. Krypton Coaster doesn't go through the zero G roll, right. or the Kraken roll is very sn- as snappy. quickly as I would like. 
Um, and then the, the other, I think the other big floorless coaster, because after the year 2000, floorless coasters did peter out pretty rapidly to the point where the last few floorless coasters were also some of the smallest and, like, least notable, and we haven't had one since uh, Imagica's Hot Wheels Nitro uh, in, in uh, India, and even that is just kind of a remix of um, Batman The Dark Knight at Six Flags New England, which was, in turn, a kind of remake of Insane Speed at Jamfusan Fancy World. The last, like, great floorless coaster we have yet to ride is Superman at Park Warner Madrid, and we really look forward really to looking that forward one. To, I look forward to the, to the lack of Midcourse background, I'm looking forward to the figure at Helix, and looking forward to the... Immelman. Immelman, that's followed by... That's, that, that follows the um, vertical loop. This is all around a really cool layout, and it's kind of out there in a the big field, which, despite some people criticizing that, I kind of look forward to being kind of a giant floorless coaster, nothing kind of around it. I feel like mm-hmm. most of them, you know, either the setting is, you know... Makes or breaks the coaster. I look forward to kind of having a different kind of experience on, on Superman there. Yeah. I think that was a clever choice considering the other B&M Mega Looper that shares the country with Superman, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, uh, one coaster we got to discuss We have to talk about Scream. Scream. Now, Scream, of course, once a long time ago, our phone could not stop referring to it parking as lot the parking coaster. lot coaster, which I think we finally got past that phase and people <laughs> just kind of respect Scream for what it is. But what Scream should really be respected for is how it, in a way, saved Magic Bound. Now, it's a very B&M thing. There's been several B&Ms that saved Magic Bound. But in this particular instance, um, Scream would have not existed without the failures that were X and Deja Vu with its constant maintenance nightmares, whole periods of being closed. X technically opening in 2001, but then, you know, it did the tragical thing where it eventually opened in 2002 officially. Um, they needed something that would be new, marketable, and people would show for the part for and could actually get on. You know, it's one of those things where you can put a bunch of billboards up for X, but then all of a sudden X is down for three weeks. It's like, well, great, now people show up for this coaster that isn't yeah. open. This was pre-internet age. So, you know, or like common internet age, I should say. So it wasn't like people were just going to like know what rides are open on the app, you it know? It's, it's things like that. Way so, before social media. And then same with Deja Vu, which obviously wasn't wasn't a prize either when it came to its operations. No. So having Scream and the proven success of Medusa at Six Flags Great Adventure, they just built a, um, a mirrored clone and said, okay, let's do this. We're going to know what's going to run. We know we're going to be able to run three trains on it. We're going to get people on and off this coaster, and they're going to like it. Mm-hmm. And people are going to show up to ride the new screen from the billboard, and the new screen from the billboard will actually be open. And in a way, it really kind of saved a reputation to a degree yeah. for that it time It was period. a huge mitigation of the struggle for that park. I think that after a series of, of not just B&Ms, but Intim and Gia Vanola projects... At Magic Mountain, um, going in the direction of a, a much less reliable uh, developer, in this case, Arrow and Vacoma for these projects, um, they sort of had buyer's remorse a little bit. Of course, now they wouldn't change X for anything, but yeah, at the time, not only Great Adventure's success with that Medusa and its layout, but uh, Discovery Kingdom's success with their Medusa and Northern California. And not having any issues with that ride when, meanwhile, Paramount's Great America was having every issue possible. And, like, it wasn't Dutchman. like the Six Flags chain was, had any doubt in the Floroscopes, because by the point Scream was contracted, we had it's, two Medusas, yeah. we had Superman in Spain, which was mm-hmm. also a Six Flags product. Yeah. We had Krypton Coaster, 
And we, we had, had Batman the Night Flight at Six Flags, Great Worlds of Adventure. So, like, Six Flags was very familiar with the product line like, at that yeah. point. It was an obvious choice. And they knew that was going to be, like, yeah, yeah one of those fits that Magic Mountain would really need. The so. last thing there is to really talk about, that it's sort of a floorless coaster, sort of not, the genre-defying wildfire at Silver City. So that's one of those really rare B&M coasters that technically sit down, but your feet can't really touch the floor unless you're tall. And it almost feels, and, and always shapes and forms the way it runs and the way it feels when you're riding. And it feels like a floorless coaster. But it um, the but floor with the you. the floor just stays far underneath you. Instead of needing moving station pieces, um, they just had that instead. Yeah. And it has a front car. The so seats it has like are a nose. pitched back, and it's got a, a zero car. So that's, like, the difference. Like, a, a ride like Kumba, which we're going to talk about in just a sec. You know, you're, you're sitting in a normal seat, and your feet are flat on the floor. And the, your vehicle has a front to it with, like, a handrail. Sort of like a stand-up coaster car. Whereas with... Wildfire, it's definitely like a floorless coaster. You just have the back of the car in front of you is what you're looking at if you're in any car beside the front There's car. There's this very tiny little lip on the, on the top of the floor so yeah. you can't accidentally fall off into yeah, the floor. So you don't want to step into, yeah. But then, Nothing. like, the station has the gate in the front like a floorless coaster, but it has a nose like, uh, a, you know, like a zero-car nose, like a, a looper. So... We love that ride, and I think it was exactly the right choice for that park. I'm sure there, there were, the temptation to build a floorless coaster was there, but I'm sure they were like, maybe they felt iffy about the reliability of the station component, because that gave parks um, some headaches here and there um, early on. But this is a perfect segue, again, to talk about... The B&M standard looper variety. There were only... Well, let's talk about the B&M that changed at all. Yeah. Just the the B&M. Of course, yeah. at this point, you've either listened to a Kuma Minnesota or you just kind of already know, of course, what Kuma is all about. Uh, but Kuma's 1993 appearance onto the scene really changed the industry significantly. It's one of the reasons of Aero's downfall. Oh, yeah. Won't get into it too much, but Kuma, of course, introduced all sorts of new elements like... The zero-g roll that we know nowadays, mm, the, the dive loop, the dive loop, the interlocking corkscrew, um, the uh, and the cover loop, roll even on a, its own. A vertical different. loop threaded through lift hill was very rare at that time. We only like Togo it still had is done quite it. rare, but yeah, um, Kumar just did it all, and, and you know, for the first time ever, you could ride a looping coaster, and like the same element wouldn't really be repeated twice. Yeah, and like, you know, even a corkscrew, the double interlocking yeah. corkscrew. If you count that interlocking corkscrew as like one move, then like yeah, you know? totally. So that was quite revolutionary, and um, at that point, I think people may have expected more sit downs. But I think B&M quickly moved from, like, they the knew what they were her. doing to, yeah. like, being able to put different kinds of trains on it to make it more spectacular. Yeah. So within seven years, it went from, like, oh, we can do all these crazy loops. So, like, all right, we know all these crazy loops, so now there's yeah. no floor. Yeah. yeah the you know, now we can do it on there. inverts. Now we can do it on, you know, on, on stand-up. Yeah. So, like, there was no longer a need. Like, why, if, if the stand-up has been yeah. around since the beginning of the company... Would someone necessarily want to purchase a sit-down version if the track is the same and they can do the same elements? Yeah. So I think that's why it never took off. And the Flores Coast was really the first sit-down, sit-down. It was a good really fit. It's not a coincidence that aside from Kumba, the B&M sit-down loopers all went to parks that were opening. They were all... All of the B&M sit-down loopers, with the exception of Kumba, were opening day attractions for their respective parks. Which means they were contracted years before they opened, which kind of makes sense. They kind of all came in the same time span. Yeah. I think Kumba opened and most of... And Dragon Con was them, contracted at the same time. And Hope was contracted shortly after yeah. Iowa. It was obviously under, under development yeah. for five years. And I think it's kind of how they all existed, despite opening at different timelines. 
They're all contracted very short together. Also, my point being that, like, every park wants a sit-down looping coaster. Most of B&M's clients already had a first or second generation traditional looping coaster, but a new park that still needs their first looping coaster may as well go through B&M. Instead of needing a gimmick. Instead of, like, who are they going to go through? Why? It's like there was no reason for, like... Islands of Adventure, for example. Well, maybe that's not the best example since they wanted to do the launch. But I guess a park like a park like Par- Port Aventura, who for, not everybody knows, Port Aventura has a really interesting history because it was developed by the Anheuser Busch Company and then sold w- during its development, and then it was sold a second time to Universal. And Universal, and then Universal sold it. Yeah. So it's in it's in like its fifth chain of command now. But it's no coincidence that Dragon Con was the signature ride for that park because it was basically like as soon as Kumba was open, probably even before Kumba was open, they knew that that was going to be a winner. And by replicating it in Spain, it was a safe choice. But yeah, it's like they went with a traditional looping coaster because this was a new park that needed a traditional looping coaster. And there was no reason to go with another company. Even, I mean, Vacoma didn't really have a reputation for custom loopers and Arrow had a bad reputation for custom loopers by this point. They couldn't get clients. And they were going to open a so, big resort, which all of yeah. these were big resorts. Mm-hmm. Because um, Port Aventura is, is, is a size resort of like five, Huge. six, seven yeah. thousand. It was only meant to rival Disneyland yeah. Paris, but in a more, in a more warm, more vacationable climate. Yeah. Because you know, all intents and purposes, Disneyland Paris is not in a very vacationable climate. Yeah. It's yeah. very, you know, hostile in the mm-hmm. winter. Um, and of course, you have... Isles of Adventure, which was going to be, you know... Yeah, uh, a huge. A big box park. Three B&M project And then park. Led Zeppelin was designed by the same designers of well, the park. Did Islands of Adventure. So Islands of Adventure yeah. 2.0 ended up in Myrtle Beach yeah. for some god-off reason. And, yeah. you know, that's how a fortune ride so it's, yeah, it's, Again, it's like all the all the sit-down loopers are connected. <laughs> like, it's not a coincidence for any of these rides. They're all related to each other. Yeah, and it there were all like, niche choices yeah. that like there's a like let's up on the ride was a sit down looper because oh, and we gotta appreciate that three out of the four have a second vertical loop yeah which is really cool because yeah it's really rare only like Kraken does it for example yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think the main re- Led Zeppelin on the ride was a sit down looper because a they wanted the onboard audio and they wanted the speaker in your face, which they needed the front of a vehicle to do that. And B, they wanted the nose car so that they could do the Zeppelin, Zeppelin thing. thing. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise, the Floros Coaster collected the torch from the sit-down looper, and the rest was history. Uh, but speaking of history, obviously, we're 22 minutes into the B&M podcast, and we haven't actually sat down and talked about their bread and butter, which is the B&M invert, obviously. So Let's talk about it. Let's so obviously, let's start with the first B&M invert, which is the spectacularly tight and awesome and super forceful Batman the Ride at Secret Great America. America. Now, Secret Great America, again, had this great relationship with B&M. So having the first Florida's coaster... Uh, I'm sorry, having and the first... Inverted, yeah, Florida's... Standard is, coaster... Yeah. And then slash the first, their first project, and then also the first inverted coaster. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool. Whenever you yeah. go to that park, it's one of those things that this is really like the birthplace of B&M's product Absolutely. lines, I feel. That is the birthplace um, of B&M. And even the original Batman, it runs different. It runs tighter. It's a different layout. It's it really feels like... Like, you wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that it would be so apparent, like, oh, that this ride was designed for this park. But when you ride other B&M clones, when you ride other Batman clones, and you ride Batman and Gurney, 
it's so obvious that that ride was designed. It's for completely that plot. yeah filled in, in into the into the yeah. parks plot, and that's also why it has the, the tighter queue because it really just kind of was built to fit on the midway. Yeah, there was no room. Because all the other ones were kind of like pushed back, and so yeah. now that empty spot where there would have been a midway is now just queue for for most of the installations. Yeah. Um. Anywho, great, great, great ride. Shortly after, um, Flight Deck at California's Great America opened, yeah. which is still like the oldest unique invert yeah. because most old inverts were not custom. They were yeah. Batman and it's slightly different variations because Great mm -hmm. White at Secret San Antonio is slightly different, which yeah. I also really like. And if you ride a lot of these Batman clones, you really can pick up on yeah. some of the slightest some of them, differences. Like the mirror you know? image ones, like um, St. Louis and Really Goliath. fun. Yeah, Flight Deck um, originally opened as Top Gun. Great coaster, and it has that classic Batman feel to it. It does the quirky things where it couldn't quite do some of the elements yet. Like the first element after the vertical loop is that it's like this helix. weird upward helix that would have nowadays that would have been, been Immelman. An Immelman. <laughs> but they, they couldn't do it on inverts yet back then. And then yeah. that zero G roll is small and so snappy. snug. Um, it needs to Little do seven car train. Yeah, it does a couple of adjustments throughout the layout just to kind of position itself for the next element. And which that corkscrew is fire. Exactly for the B. Seven, the the two seventy is amazing. Yeah, and for B and M, it's kind of rare for like a coaster to need to adjust itself to be ready for the next element. But only some of the older ones kind of do that. Like obviously right. the stand-ups really do it, and you can really notice it on Vortex, both Vortexes, um, Iron Wolf, Flight Deck, some of the more you know custom, not cloned attractions. You can kind of notice it. Obviously nowadays everything's so smooth, it's hardly noticeable. Um, but that's really cool. Um, Nemesis, you want to probably yeah. talk about that one? And go for it. Yeah, I feel like. Flight Deck is sort of like the oldest of the non-clones, even though obviously the original Batman was not a clone. It feels like not as original now because there's so many. Flight Deck just feels special because it's so unique and was not cloned. Nemesis feels the same way. That ride was such an outrageous runaway success. It was like uh, a perfect like planets-aligning moment because they had... This great new ride system with lots of potential, and they had this client, Alton Towers, which was ready. They were ready to do completely outlandish things to accommodate a roller coaster of this style. Alton Towers famously cannot build roller coasters above the tree line, so to build, to, to take it full advantage of what a BM invert is capable of, they blew up a valley and created their own like their own pit of, <laughs> of mystery and threaded and, and had B&M thread this this coaster through it. I mean, it, just by itself. I mean, just a typical inverted coaster by itself was already so remarkable. And then any coaster that they positioned in that pit that they built for the ride would have been marvelous. But you take the two and put them together, and there's no surprise that the ride is still talked about and still so incredibly well-loved to this day. Not because it's well-loved by enthusiasts, especially the fanboys of Cedar Point, but not myself, <laughs> personally, really, is Raptor. I enjoy Raptor for the things that it does, in a way, it still feels like a really old B&M. Um, there are some really quirky little movements, quirky little snappiness to some of the inversions, um, the way it comes into the brakes, or the way you enter the pre-lift, little things that you can really kind of pick up as a classic B&M thing, um, but it was really the first large-scale big B&M invert. Yeah. And so in my head, I always have a hard time lumping it in with stuff like Alpengeist and Pyrenees and Montu because in my head, those three are like their own category because in a way, despite Raptor's size being so similar, it kind of still feels like a really yeah. big blown-up Batman clone with a bunch of extra things to it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it kind of has that same feel to it, in my opinion. 
Um, but yeah, the Raptor really was the first big invert. It was one of those Cedar Point power moves that we get every couple of years, and obviously it paid off. It's also the only one to ever be cloned. The other one... Besides um, Batman. Besides Batman, yeah. obviously. Well, that's what I said, the only other one to look at. Oh, cloned. yeah. Um, which was an expo land in Japan, uh, where it was called Orochi. Orochi. Yeah, Orochi. Yeah, and now it is... In Osaka. Um, um, yeah, and now it's in Valigator in France with the name of... Monster. Monster, which... A cute name, but it's not necessarily the best fit for the park. But that's a whole different episode. Yeah. <laughs> not whatever now. Um, but yes, and then of course Met One Two, um, big deal, you know, big deal, awesome trenches, big elements, new elements that we hadn't never seen before. The, um, the implement was a big deal, which was the first one. Um, kind of funny is like the underground tunnel having that weird turn in it. Yeah. Um, but also the Batwing element on the coaster, we've obviously seen them on the on the era loopers, Viper for example, Magic Mountain, or the Great American Scream Machine and the Shockwave coasters. We had seen it before, Viper at Darien Lake, you know, it isn't a new element. But for yeah. B and M it was a new element. And it's almost wild to me that we saw it on the Invert first and not on the on the sit down. We looper. never did see it on Forlist or anything. I feel like I would now I think about it in the moment, I think it would have been such a funny and great fit for like a Florida's coaster or a sit down like you know, like something with a Kumba snappiness I to it. I think it's because people want to have the Cobra it. roll is more dramatic and more spectacular. More um and I think it was for Montu, they had already had a slam dunk with Kumba. And I think there was just a desire, a great desire to build Kumba again, but as an inverted coaster, but to to shake things up a little bit. So, so instead of a dive loop, instead of a dive loop, it's an implement. Instead of a boomerang, it's a batwing. Instead of two corkscrews, it's a loop and a corkscrew, and then a corkscrew. Totally. Yeah. One hundred percent. And then, so we, I think we just got really lucky that another batwing was built. That that for whatever Carowinds was somehow possessed to build not just the other inverted. Batwing, but to make it a full underground tunnel that tunneled under the park a midway, entrance, yeah. the entrance of the park. Um, I mean, let's talk about it real quick. We don't have it actually on our list, but we can definitely give it a quick shout out because and it's such um, a cute ride. Afterburn at Carowinds is one of those mid tier, doesn't really have a specific category. It's sort of like Raptor. It's kind of like Raptor, but slightly smaller. It, like Great Bear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, there's that weird middle ground coaster where like it's either all the BMs are tight little inverts that are super snappy, super cute, but super intense, yeah. or like the big boys that you know, like the giant graduated. elements making a Florida's coast look small situation yeah but like in the middle there's only a couple of one a couple and they're all really weird yeah. they're not really the same because even afterburn doesn't really feel like a typical bnm the way they built it because they were so focused on building that bed wing that doing the doing the drop into the loop and then into the inland and then positioning the zero g roll and the return from the bed yeah. wing underneath the lift hill or like yeah. over the lift hill, yeah. underneath the lift hill and then Having the bad wing and then you know that the quick finale with the corkscrew and the helix just to kind of make its way back. Such a really weird. It's such a perfect little concise ride. Yeah, if you draw it on a napkin, you're like, oh, it's yeah. satisfying, you know, because mm -hmm. it really doesn't really cross over itself more than like twice. Yeah. Um, and then you have we didn't. I don't. We didn't even put Great Bear on this list either. It's just so hard not to talk about like all of the inverts because Great Bear is so weird. When we were when we were so making this episode and made some show notes, well, one of those things we we're talking about is like, wow, this is B and M though. Like there are so many coasters and all of them are pretty much like top tier. So which ones do you leave out? And yeah. Even now we leave them out, we're still talking about yeah. them. So I guess we're just gonna. The best thing about Great Bear is so. not the vertical loop, not the implement, not the zero G roll, not even the helix at the top of the lift hill. It is that Little ridiculous U turn. Yeah. After the zero G roll, the downward U turn that hugs the final brakes for Super Duper Looper, that element is the funniest 
coolest, most random. Well, and then there's like the weird transition between the swing over the water and then like the course in the opposite direction because yeah. it couldn't only fit it in that direction. Because it has to exit like under the lift hill for super. I love that. I mean, ride. fit about uh, talk about rides you can only fit courses in certain ways. Let's yeah. jump to Silver Bullet real quick. Oh my god! Because yes. another one of those middle ground <laughs> coasters that like I don't think about it in the same scope as Alpen Geist and Montu. We haven't even talked about Alpen Geist. Yet. You know, but I but it has that. A completely unique layout that is not seen ever again. With the Stengel die. With the Stengel die, but also with those two core screws with that little swing in the middle yeah. because they're one or two core screws and like they couldn't even fit in a double roll, which would have been kind of fun to would see for the first rare. time. Yeah. But instead, they had to build two core screws in opposite directions to kind of fit them over the lake. Yeah. And so they put that swing in the middle and it's like everyone's favorite thing is that swing that's, on the That ride it's like a legend. kicks ass. People slept on that ride for years. We were just opened. mad that it ruined the only naturalistic aspect. Well, and of some the people park. they don't like the drop, and like when it opened, I'm like, oh, this isn't that intense. It's not as good. That ride has aged better, so well than most coasters. When they just added a new. They 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 purchased a third, third train, train for it in 2018. I mean, who does that? That's so 14 bad. years after yeah. opening, you know. Okay, you have to talk about Alpha Guys. Okay, let's talk about Alpha Guys. That's my That's favorite, like big. Invert. That's um, your favorite invert period, is it not? Well, my favorite invert period would be a giant invert boomerang from Vacoma. Well, okay, your your favorite in B and M invert period. Honestly, it's it hard not? because it could also be Uzi's or Black Mamba. Our last Black Mamba ride was pretty good. And Uzi's is fucking awesome. Oh, sorry, language is awesome. Anywho, so other <laughs> <laughs> guys, my favorite are the big boys. Um, I just love the idea of the lift hill being the giant support. The ski lift. The ski lift supported craziness. It's like a hyper coaster. Using the terrain, they did such a good job with that. And it's they an invert knew that it would be so tall and so prominent. They did not want to dirty up the skyline too much. And there's just something about having a giant spiraling drop down, which is significantly larger than any of the other drops, because then it, it doesn't just go back to ground level. It goes, it goes way deeper. Well below, and then it has a giant immelman that's just massive. I mean, it's the biggest immelman on any invert, obviously. And then you just you know, keep going down into the ravine, and you have that vertical loop. After the vertical loop, you keep going down even further, even further. and you have that super snappy, roll. really tall cobra roll. Unbelievable. And there's only like another one other coast that has a cobra roll similar to it, and that's Hope, because the cobra roll is so elevated yeah. that like the, the, the top of it's very snappy, but the actual half loops part of it yeah. are very tall. Like roller coaster type It's quite different, and I really, really like it about that. It's just super snappy, and then you have obviously the S-turn into the brake run, which slams the shit out of your head. Mid-course um, is and then the key roll. The post mid-course is really cute because that could only be done when you have a terrain to work with. So it dives again back into that valley and then you have a zero G roll, which who has a zero G roll post mid-course? Nobody super, has that. Super wild. You know, even like, more people have the loop than they have the zero G roll most yeah. post mid-course. And then you kind of just wind your way up using Start a course crew and a helix. Yeah. Nicely themed. And like, it ends on a bit of a, of a more of a chill note as where like the, the no beginning is so intense that I feel like the middle of the ride really is the intensity maximum. Like, yeah. the cobra roll is so intense. It's, Everyone just shrieks. It's like, it's like so intense. Shoes Almost like the bed wing on Montu in that way. Yeah. And then, like, it makes its way back, and it kind of finishes a little more slow. And yeah. I kind of like it that way. Yeah. It, like, it really packs a punch. That ride. But it paces itself pretty nicely. Remember when we sessioned that in the rain? In the rain. Oh, my God. It was so oh, awesome. So great. So yeah, that's All why right. I like um, Alpha Guys. And now, we, now we have to be sad for a little bit because we have to talk about doing dragons because you just can't talk about B&M inverts without talking about... The only completely retired B&M attraction. Yeah, the only B&M attraction that is, is completely... It's obviously Hulk was demolished and rebuilt. The attraction didn't go anywhere. It just got a, got a retrack. Kumba is, is probably going to be next in the in the conversation of, of B&M coasters getting retracked but not... 
the attraction itself being retired. Whereas Dueling Dragons is, is the only B&M attraction to ever be put completely out of service. And I would, I mean, Dueling Dragons was a cool ride. Was it sustainable? Was it smart? Not quite. No, it was a weird, it was a super, way to high capacity. Super niche choice. Yeah. The highest capacity roller coaster based attraction ever built. Two completely unique coasters that ran three 36 passenger trains each. And they put it in the back of the park. <laughs> and they built all this overflow queue for it. And it was just like, that ride was a huge marketing misfire because they really, they didn't need more than Hulk. They just felt like building Dueling Dragons because it like rounded out the the con- Lost Continent area, I guess. But and, and, you know, they were cool rides. It's funny because like one of them, I think Ice Dragon, was, was fairly straightforward. Both of these coasters were, were quirky, even without the dueling component. Uh, because, like, Ice Dragon's first... You come off the drop, and the first thing it did was, a, was a, like, an egg turn. <laughs> like, it was not an inversion off of the first lift. It was a turnaround, and then a zero-G roll, and then a cobra roll. And, like, Ice Dragon, I guess, would be best remembered for having pretty straightforward elements, but having a funny sequence of elements because like the vertical loop was towards the end with for both of them the vertical loop was towards the end um fire dragon is best remembered for those crazy those two crazy immelman type things that it did at the beginning of the ride um and then having two corkscrews with the loop in the middle maybe not quite as varied as ice dragon but i think fire dragon was a lot of people's favorites in a way, I felt like Fire Dragon was the one that was designed first, and then Ice Dragon was just kind of built to accommodate Fire Dragon. I could Honestly, be totally... I wonder, because I feel like Ice Dragon had all the signature elements that are, we're used to, so I couldn't imagine them building, purposely spread out, all their classic signature elements on Ice Dragon, and then they had to get real creative with like winding yeah. fire around it. Because when I build a, a coaster in you know, no limits, and this is just a weird parallel. <laughs> I will build one coaster, usually first, that I have my signature elements that I know what I want to do with, and then my second coaster sometimes, so I don't do, you know, with the racing, if it's a unique layout, is the one that kind of gets all the creative new weird stuff, so, so I, can, I can make it work, I can make a timing work, and maybe that's how I'll do with I mean, I'm not sure, of course. It's but fun I'm to speculate the ways in which that ride could have come to be. That The second Immelman on... Dragon was bizarre because you would come up out of it and it did a full 360 helix as it exited and then fired you into the vertical loop. That ride was cool. It it was too good for this world. It was never truly meant to be. And I guess we were just lucky to have existed at the same time as that ride. Totally. (laughs) Uh, Oh, okay. Talk about Black Mamba, please. Um, well, you can talk about Black Mamba. You want to talk about... Uh, I, uh, you'll talk about Osiris. I'll talk about Osiris. Okay, you talk about Osiris. And then I'll talk about Black Mamba. Oh, okay. So, Osiris, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, obviously, Black Mamba came first. There was this clear spacing between Nemesis, Black Mamba, and Osiris. Almost, like, equal spacing between But those are, like, the Euro... Uh, but those are the... the snappy the, trio. Exactly. And now, equal time after, it's Monster. So, there really it seems monster. to be equal periods. Like, okay. That's so true. You know, monster like, and Ronalund, yes. We have, like, six years, six years, six years... Well, they don't, roughly, like maybe yeah, a little, give and take, but yeah. <laughs> um, really, really kind of funny now to think about it. But yeah, so um, Osiris, awesome coaster, has elements that kind of feel like, in a way, Banshee-inspired, because it's missing like the pre-drop, it's missing some of the pacing things that being well, like, used to do. Well, like, it inspired Banshee, I think. And then, sorry, it's, yeah, well, yeah, I'm not, it I'm, first, yeah. Yeah, I'm just 
drawing parallels here. I'm not yeah. saying one is far the other, but um, what's kind of funny about it is because it has that classic B and M coaster feel. It's the big elements. At the beginning. Um, and it feels like a Batman in many, many ways, but it has some really modern kind of edge to it. Like, it flows even better than the classic B&M Yeah. Because instead of, like, anticipating moments of, like, all right, really high intensity, okay, turn. Really high intensity, okay, turn. This goes, it kind of has a little more fluidity to it, where you have that first drop, which is really sharp, but this is, like, twisting thing into a uh, dive loop. Is it dive loop? Yeah, it was, yeah, a yeah dive loop. it was the first B&M member to have a dive loop. And then um, you just kind of wander your way around... Um, doing, you know, some, oh God, how do you describe this? I, I guess we did a whole episode on it, but it's just, I it just feels very different because in a way that like Mamba feels very, you know, almost like Batman in a way where it does kind of like the, the classic things and throws in some Ulysses is really well themed and really snappy and, you know, that's such a great product. It's a pretty straightforward. There history. is something about the series that's so different, but having Not that weird, where it has like the vertical loop and then it has... The Illman, but it also has a dive loop in the beginning, and then it has the sharp helix at the under end, the water. and then it has that dive under the water, and it has an off-axis zero G looking thing. It's very Into much like Banshee's two seventy, and then it has a weird quirky like flight deck kind of adjustment, and you know where, and then it dives towards the perfectly normal zero G roll. Yeah, that's perfectly shaped and perfectly designed, and feels really awesome. Slotted between the station and the final breaks. Exactly, it's just different in that way, but it's really great, really snappy. It does a lot for the layout, which I really appreciate because despite it's not so very big or you know heights. Um, it has a lot of elements, and I feel like Batman clones feel so short, and of course they come in with so much speed, but Osiris kind of took that height, maybe it's slightly bit taller, but put so many different elements yeah. in it. It really almost feels like a full-length, hyper B&M invert, like, you know, Montu and Elpengeist and Raptor in a way, um, but really it's just all put into a smaller scale coaster. It's just all this skill down. I, I really would even like go it. as far to say that, like, even though Black Mamba is my favorite invert, I think Osiris, Osiris probably has the best layout of any of the B&M inverts. Oh, yeah, I would agree. Because that layout is just crazy. The fact that it has like a mini monster, the, two over, like, the two 90-degree turns, the one after the dive loop and the one after the Immelman, and they're kind of layered on top of each other. I mean, it's just crazy. That ride it has sounds very, such very a good. wild elegance to it. It's so great. I mean, as for Black Mamba, I mean, there, I could never say enough good things about that ride. It's sort of like... It was the next evolution of Nemesis, whereas Nemesis, they, like, blew up the ground and put a coaster in the pit. Black Mamba, it was like they, they dug into the earth and built this coaster and then put the midway, like, mid-level of the, of the height of the ride. And the queue was through all sorts of levels and the hotels there, and the bridge mm-hmm. to the hotels through the vertical loop. Yeah. Um, the lift still goes through the... Um, through thematic buildings, the area. Yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. We all know, we all know what Black Mamba looks mm-hmm. like, but... Um, it's really, really impressive in person yeah. if you haven't been. It's just one of those things. It's just like a vibe. Like, you walk around, like, winding staircases through the queue as the coaster zips by inches away while riders' feet are also inches from the wall. It's just a very different approach to it. Every second on Black Mamba is very carefully detailed and yeah. very carefully put together. And even rides like Aziris Monster, Montu, no ride can really ever say it's quite as detailed as that. And it goes for pretty much, I think, almost every attraction. At Fantasia alone, where all their new stuff. You know, yeah. it's it's pretty it's pretty wild. But yeah, like Mamba's no exception. The only thing okay, so we're gonna talk about Banshee in a second, because that's gonna be our segue to our next category. We have to talk about family inverted coaster at Happy Valley Shanghai for just a second. Snappy but weird. It's totally its own product line, according to B and M, which I mean it makes sense. 
The vehicles on the Family Inverted Coasters are sort of like Banshees, which Banshees it's were overkill, a major reinvention of the The big difference is the they don't have um, setup. vests on them. Yes. So it's like the same bar, but without the vest. And the layout is the Vacoma Kvastin suspended Family Coaster layout, which... The only difference is that the... Um, the figure eight part the figure crosses eight part over and under itself. Exactly. Instead of just like instead being of continuous going from higher slow. to lower. Yeah. yeah. Super fun ride. Way well over engineered. Probably B and M probably charged them so much freaking money. It was one of those things where like yeah, there's only two of them. I don't think I ever see one I, again. It was like ha- we're only getting them at Happy Valley because only Happy Valley was like dumb enough to tell B and M that they wanted Vacoma's family invert, but Vacoma was too busy. They were too booked up to build them one. So B&M's like, we'll do it for three times the price or whatever. And Happy Valley's like, okay. But no, okay, we're gonna, now we need to talk about Banshee because... Before we go there, I want to just mention Monster real quick one more time. So Monster and Oh, Grunaland. yes, and So, of course, that is now the fourth big custom recent-ish um, European B&M invert. And um, it does things even more differently because of its space constraints hovering over Grunaland's already very tightly packed theme park. Uh, mostly zero G corkscrewish kind of elements. The first B looping invert to not have a vertical loop, and um, lots of tight turns and swing swingy moments. It's a very different approach, uh, but obviously needs to be mentioned. We haven't written it yet. Yeah. Sven has written it. He loves it, uh, but obviously we. It we, was we a surprise and a relief to many to see the original ninety style B and M trains return to the inverted coasters. I don't think people were that surprised because I think people know that you can do the tight yeah. stuff with the bench restraints. You know? Banshee's vest restraints are definitely an acquired taste. Banshee, I feel like, could be its own product line because it v- vaguely resembles other inverted coasters. It has its own width of track, like its own unique track gauge. Obviously, the trains are different. Um, Banshee was a ride that we liked a lot. I liked it a lot in the beginning because it was just it was so novel to have a new B&M invert, and then I kind of was over it, and now I've come full circle, and I'm crazy about it again. It's well, yeah, I'm the same way because when I first saw Banshee, and Alex can remember this perfectly, yeah, I was very light into it because my biggest issue with Banshee was that it felt, especially with the vest restraints, um, the trains are bulky, but you're so tightly packed in there, um, and then the layout itself of the coaster was so fluid, and it was so Carefully designed, and it almost felt like it was designed to keep like a constant kind of force going, where a computer just knew exactly what moments of the ride needed to be, how stretched out, and how tall an element needed it to be for them to keep everything within this force range. And it almost kind of felt like the whole thing was just the same element over and over, despite them being different elements, because there was never really a change in force. <coughs> it was always kind of like, oh, yeah. the same thing, same thing, over engineering, same thing, same thing. Um, it wasn't until it started rattling a little bit and it started running fast <laughs> to get a little older. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and it was, you know, eight, nine years older. Um, eight, nine years old, sorry, like six, seven years older that I really started liking yeah. it. Where I'm like, wow, now this ride is really starting to kind of get some character. And now I'm a big Banshee person because it has this, you know, grandiosity to it. And we really like wing coasters and Banshee mm-hmm. in many ways feels like a giant wing coaster, yeah. except for you're not, you know, you're yeah, we call the it track. the suspended wing coaster. Especially um, when you sit on the sides of those Banshee, Banshee cars, like it gives definitely wing, coaster wing coaster And of course, it has that really infamous final finale role, role. Yeah. which is, it's done on almost every wing coaster, but it isn't done on, on any, any other coaster. coaster. So having it on Banshee... Banshee it's one of those things where it's like, wow, this is clearly one of those things where, like, obviously there were rumors to either go with a B&M wing coach or a B&M invert, and they went with the wing, with the invert, but I feel like 
they're in the design process. They were like designing two kinds of rides, yeah. and they were picking what they wanted. And I think and like, they were no, like, ah, "We, need we want that element from that wing thing over here. Can we yeah. do that?" And I think that's kind of how it came to life. And it's one of my favorite elements on yeah. that ride. It's so yeah, funny. I have a theory that Banshee would have ended with a corkscrew, but then they changed their mind when they saw the stretched out roll from the wing coaster concept. And it works with how elevated it is because yeah, it is really in the cool. valley, so it's yeah. it's cool. Because Island has more terrain than Banshee, I'm to get credit for. Once you stop thinking about the things that you wish Banshee was, you start to love it for the things that it is and the, the ways in which it is unlike any other coaster in the world. Plus, it's not like they needed another, like... 6G invert, like, mean machine, because, like, they've got Invertigo. This ride had to be different, not only from Invertigo, but it needed to be different from Raptor, and it needed to be different from Gatekeeper. So... In a park where you already have loopers in the world, kind of tall order. So, it was... I think Banshee is actually exactly as good as it could have been. I wouldn't really change anything about it. Um, But, yeah, now we need to segue into... Honestly... Our obsession, like a huge, huge joy <laughs> in talking about B and M's for us, is talking about the wing coaster. So we're absolutely wing coaster obsessed. Um, if you follow us on our social media, and uh, if you've been reading our blogs for a while, if you're like a coaster kings aficionado, at this point you know wing coaster is something we're just obsessed with. We wrote this article about wing coasters that highlights that very well. So if you haven't seen the gig, just search for the word. Uh, wing coaster on our website. It's called mm-hmm. For the Love of Wing Coasters. Yeah. Um, get your wing coaster fixed. But yeah, so we're big wing coaster people. Um, and that's because I think it's one of the most varied kinds of coasters yeah. that is out there, despite it having some really signature elements that we do find continuously coming back. There's still no two wing coasters that even feel similar. Does that make sense? And maybe it doesn't make sense, but. No, I think um, so. Even, I mean, there's not. It's unlike inverted coasters, it, there was never like. A trend of cloning these rides. There are a couple of clonable clones, ones, yeah, but they're very obscure. They're all in China. The only and the clones, yeah, exactly. There's two that have been there's cloned. There's two layouts that have been and only one of them is actually has the clones open. Yeah, like both, because one yeah. of them was but would never open. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, let's start with Raptor that opened in 2011 in Gardalon. It's the only prototype B and M coaster that we haven't ridden. I know it's not weird. We have not ridden that coaster, but that's Sven's favorite B and M wing coaster. Is it? That's what he told me. I, I hope that's still heard. true. Sven, if that's not true, I'm sorry. But I'm you have not written sure. one since then. I think, but, no, I think he did say it because he was like, it has the, the best drop. thematic elements. Oh, yeah, the near like hip, the laid, elements. The, the keyhole stuff is laid on thick with that ride because it was like showcasing what made me at um, Wing Coaster's cool. Totally. So it has like three keyhole moments. I'm like 99% sure that Sven said that that was his favorite because of the reliance on the keyhole stuff. Yeah, keyhole stuff is, is obviously a bit, very big deal on a lot of them. Now, not on every one of them, though, because there's definitely a couple we've written there. There's almost none. Yeah. Um, Swan Wild, has a couple. Wild, Wild Eagle has none. and X-Flight are two coasters that open at the same time and are two opposite ends of the wing coaster spectrum. Despite having a similar scale, um, I prefer, personally, Matt, uh, X-Flight significantly more. Because yeah. X-Flight has theming. It has a bit of a story. Um it has honestly a pretty decent landscape, I'm not gonna lie. It's a, it's a, it's a clean moments. product. It has a couple of keyhole moments and it's honestly very intense. It's five very different It has the intensity of the big boys that we've written in yeah. Asia, but it kinda does it in a really small kind of skill. Almost when they built it, when they announced it, I thought X Flight in twenty twelve was gonna be the new Six Flags model. I, I thought, thought it was gonna, gonna be the new Batman ride. Oh, and everybody I'm surprised did. that it Absolutely. wasn't because I'm writing it. I personally really do think that 
for regional parks around the globe. This is a great product to purchase without needing to pay for design costs. It's just a really good, perfect little, you know. I think the reason the reason why Six Flags Great America got X Flight and none of the other Six Flags parks got well, any did they have coaster issues at all. With them, did they? Yeah, X Flight was notorious for having surprising for B and M issues. So like Six Flags was just like not really into it, and I, I really wonder if that. Just made Six Flags not purchase anymore, and then they eventually moved over to the wing flippy thing. I think um, it was, you know? Six Flags Great America's long-standing relationship with B&M, obviously something we've already emphasized in the sure. podcast. I think management within Great America really pushed to get it, get it built, and Six Flags, probably, Six Flags Great America was one of the few parks that they could justify the expense Whereas for all the other parks, it was sort of like... The only other parks that could have justified building a ride like that would have been like Magic Mountain, which didn't need it. X-Flight, as we've talked about before, is 100% their X2. The color scheme, the wing configuration of it, everything. It's definitely their X2, even though it's a very different kind of ride. It aesthetically and physically, like, checks that box. Um, but yeah, I just think like the cost of it and stuff, as much as it seemed like at the time X-Flight was going to be the new Batman, or at the very least the new Superman ride of steel, I think they just ultimately... Oh, Superman of the Fight, but yeah. Or, right, Superman of the Fight, that's right, yeah. Uh, they ultimately just decided that they were going to go somewhere else with it. Speaking of flying coasters, I didn't add a flying coaster section to this script. So we'll we'll, we'll switch over to after the Chinese wing. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea, we'll talk about flyers. Good thing I have a roller coaster database open in the background. I knew I was missing something. That's okay. I threw this together real quick on the way home from SeaWorld. Um, but yeah, Gatekeeper is, of course, a, a wing coaster that needs to be talked about because it's Cedar Point. Nobody seems to like Gatekeeper as much as we do. There's, like, a, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, Cedar I, Point. I just don't want to sound like, like a you know, wing coaster hype boy here, but I am, I guess. Oh, because I guess really yeah. like it. And even when it's so lightly themed, when it's so Cedar Fair all the way through and through, color scheme and all the way around. Like, there's just nothing more Cedar Fair than Gatekeeper, really. And yet, it just works for me. Like, I think the layout's awesome. Um, I think it's a really graceful coaster. It has it has a decent variety of elements. I like the size of it. like the location of it. Um, yeah, nothing much to complain about, I guess, um, at all. I just really like the coaster. I think the keyholes are clean. The remodel of the entrance was great. It's nice to have a large-scale coaster. I just yeah, wonder, people just... Because even, even at Wind Coaster Land, despite them all being so different, there's... The clear small ones, the mid-sized ones, and the large ones, you know. And this is definitely one of those large ones. It reminds me of the big wing coasters in China, which, of course, we can't say enough positive things about. I've ridden a swarm, the Swarm at Thorpe Park, which I really like. It's been on the short side, but it has it's a kind of mid size, right? Really likable ride. Um, the only European wing coaster that we've both ridden is Phoenix. We haven't ridden Flipter Damon. Obviously, we haven't ridden Raptor. We talked about that. Yeah, Phoenix you is have awesome. Swarm. Phoenix is a great, great ride, um, and a great, a great setting, a great. Phoenix presence. may be the most intense wing coaster. If anyone thinks that being ever so boring a mile, yeah. as people always like to say, um, Phoenix is absolutely intense. It's one of those rides you're like, wow, why? But also like, wow, this is cool because having that dive loop, like whatever they call that, like the half loop, the dive yeah. loop, and then into a sharp airtime hill into a. Freaking implement, and then into, into a, a helix. Yeah, into a three sixty dirt dirt turn helix, and then up into, into a zero. A, yeah, roll. it's just absolutely insane. Oh it's so my God. good. 
Uh, and then followed up by a couple of quick like transitional yeah. airtime hills. And it's not a very long ride, but it just does everything right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, next, let's talk a little bit about Thunderbird, the first and only launch coaster oh, yes, the of its kind. That's um, a good ride. The launch is quite fire. Like it's really really good. Yeah. The ride itself is, is really fun. It's good. It's a nice layout. It has that classic wall we already talked about. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm obviously big fans of Thunderbird too. But again, we're friends of ever being a Invert. I mean, sorry, ever being a Winkoster. Um, and then the Chinese ones the were Chinese really big fans. Now, if we're going to talk about X Flight being perfect to be cloned, there's one code I've written, and it's the Wings of Glory at um, HB World mm -hmm. in Suzhou, China, that is technically a clone of the Hot Go World one. Now, the mm -hmm. Hot Go World Park Hot near Oakland. In Ningbo. And it sits there empty. So the original one built and sat, and then HB World cloned it, and now the clone of the original is the only one that's actually been open. Super and fun it's ride. So good. It fits like six inversions in a very I feel like small it's space. A re it's sort of like a reset on X Flight. It's uh -huh. like X Flight, but they squeezed a vertical loop in there somehow. It's not, there's no emphasis on like keyholes or anything like X Flight has. There's almost no space for it. It's yeah. such a tight, it's like by far the most compact. It's a little helix in there too. It has, yeah, it has a final helix. Yeah. It has a zero G roll. It's a little bit it has more. I feel a like Ilman. It has a corkscrew. Um, cork, like an actual physical corkscrew. It has a corkscrew, a zero G roll, and a heartline roll. Yeah, it's super awesome. And then a vertical loop and an Ilman and a dive loop. And of course, there's Falcon we're going to talk yeah. about, which is located not so far away from it, really like half hour, hour away. Yeah. In um, Sunegland, Wuchi. Yeah. Um, same province, Jiangsu. That's like the Alpengeist of wind coasters, or at least it wants to be. It's just. Almost at 200 feet. Yeah, it's like 199 feet. It's it's the infamous blue rockwork one yeah. where it goes through and all the rockwork. And that dive drop. The dive, that ride currently has the record for tallest inversion. Now, interestingly about this coaster is that the first half of the ride, this was like a really, really, really big blown up B&M wing coaster to the point where I almost felt like it was almost too large. Yeah. Like, wow, this really doesn't do a anything giant, for me. giant, giant x But then you do this really little hop over the rockwork and you dive down towards the water. From then on, the ride's awesome. Yeah. The only difference is that the ride is 200 feet tall almost, but it doesn't do a whole lot. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of time and momentum and speed is wasted on these giant elements, which sure could be fun, but technically they just don't do like a lot. You the know? same for a ride that's twice the size of other like wing coasters. It technically has like the same number of events. Elements, yeah. So it doesn't feel like that much more of a ride, but it's a good ride. It's kind of a nice happy medium. I feel like. A lot of wing coasters are either like very keyhole focused and like tight and squirrely, or they're like something like Wild Eagle at Dollywood, where they're just like just a sit down looper on. that happens to be a wing coaster. And I think that ride is a happy medium. I would say Parrot Coaster is the real star. more on the keyhole focus. It's but I don't know. It's well, just, Parrot Coaster is very unique because it has three tunnels. It has keyholes. It has all the signature elements. It's not inversion heavy. But it also only has three elements. Like, only it's three has three inversions. inversions. And it has a dive loop, which is really unique. It's the only dive loop yeah. on a... Coming um, off that first drop there. into the dive loop. Straight, yeah, straight down move. first yeah. drop. And then a, like, elevated dive loop over the water. And then it just has this weird S-turn up. Yeah. It spends, like, two quarters... Sorry, um, two-thirds of the ride doing... Really unique, not yeah, inversion elements, and then it only has like three inversions, and it has a helices and and water flybys yeah. and tunnels and a really sharp, quick transitional turns. Really, really good ride, um, by far. Parrot is like for the sure. 
stand up. It's the Riddler's Revenge of wing coasters. Oh, by it far. It is the wing. Even though we love all wing coasters, and I think people Parrot I can agree with that. And the I think wing coaster. People, generally speaking, when they you know I don't know about Paracoaster because if it's decent age, so in twenty fourteen is when it opened. Yeah. I think people still refer to that as like well the you know the big yeah. green Parrot coaster. It made such a splash at Iapa when they had the ride vehicles there, the LED color changing. Scarlet, like, macaw vehicles. I feel like that ride is still talked about and loved. Now, I will say everyone in the mutters uh, sees pictures of about Falcon. Swears the Falcon, which you see is, is the best. The, the wing coaster. I would say it's middle pack for it's me. It's mid pack. But it's still a cool but ride. It's still a really good ride, of course. All right. Next yeah. up, let's we do need to uh, pull, flying coaster. Uh, we need to pull a flying coaster segment out of our ass. Okay, flying coaster, stats is the best, men's is great. <laughs> flying, no, actually, no, flying dino is the no, best. No, we're going to do this right. Okay, well, I guess, so, I guess, was Air, oh, Air was, I'm looking at Roller Coaster Database right now, I forgot, I always forget that Air was the first one that actually opened. Air is cute, you'll like that ride, just because it's weird. Yeah. It's the only, like, like to go now, it's like the yeah. only B&M flyer, I think it's the only B&M flyer that didn't bother itself with either a pretzel loop or with any, like... I guess the Starry Sky Ripper doesn't have a pretzel loop either, but Starry Sky Ripper will try to kill you. Like, that ride that will make insane. your brain bleed. Yeah. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about the Superman Ultimate Flight clones. Nobody does. Move on. That's <laughs> sort of unfortunate. Or um, Crystal Wing would have been Crystal uh-huh. Wing at least looks cool. Well, not anymore, because the paint job it has looks terrible. Um, there's, yeah, there's no need to talk about the Superman Ultimate Flight clones, because... The best thing about those are the pretzel loops, and those can be found on much more interesting coasters. Well, like let's Tatsu. talk about let's talk about the big five the um, flyers. The big five flyers. So the big five flyers. Let's start with. Um, we can go in order. Should of we the go in chronological goals. order? Yeah. Okay. So let's start let's with talk Tatsu. About Tatsu. Yeah. So obviously, Magic Mountain's actual savior. I mean, Magic Mountain was so close to closing and having <laughs> its whole coastal line ripped out because nobody wanted to buy it, and then they would just put a bunch of houses there. And one of the Hill Mary Passes of Hill Mary Passes of all times <laughs> was Tatsu. And Tatsu pretty much single-handedly saved the gate. And it was one of those really, really expensive, super over-the-top, super ambitious roller coasters that the park swears they'll never, ever do again. And it worked. And I'm glad that it did. And it's a great coaster. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's the only coaster that, in this, in this product line, I guess, that has such a terrain difference where... You know, your first drop can be 120 feet, but you would also finish the whole ride, the finale, with a 140-foot pretzel loop. You know, it's one of those, you know, really unique situations where the mountain really helps. And the the views from the coast are absolutely insane. When you do that horseshoe over Samurai Summit, you're, like, way off above the park. It's kind of... People just don't give it the recognition for that. I feel like it it should get. It's really cool. Even though I feel like I prefer Flying Dinosaur, personally, I think, like, Tatsu, again, is the more impressive. Kind of like Osiris is the best... B&M coaster layout, like a bit. It has the best B&M invert layout. Tatsu probably has the best layout of any flying coaster. I, I wouldn't say good that because I think you think flying the layout of flying dinosaur is better. Flying dinosaur certainly. Flying dinosaur's first like tries. straight down yeah. twisting drop is insane. Yeah. And then the triple up weird inversion yeah, the one and, and a half barrel roll. And then the Immelman into the swooping dive into the pretzel loop. I mean, God, that ride is such a and then the and then this freaking airtime hill. And then the helix <laughs> over Jurassic Park, and then that seamless inline twist at the end. At the end, yeah. I still think find that is the best. But yeah. uh, Manta is really good too. Obviously, yeah. it's been cloned to Acrobat. We looked at Manta today. Yeah, <laughs> and Manta has obviously a great view, great <laughs> integration. It's an absolutely phenomenal Pinot flyer. Yeah, um, it works it's as a clone, a but it is really clear when you ride Acrobat in Nakashima Spa Land that it's 
missing the magic missing. touch. It's magic. It's missing the interaction. It's funny. It's missing the aquariums. You know, yeah. it's kind of just like you Manta's the whole. Package. You don't appreciate like all of the things happening around Manta, like the major aquarium operation, until you ride Acrobat and see the way that the infield seems really bare. Still a great ride in its own right. I I do love Japan's fascination with the flying coaster. Um, oh we oh, oh okay okay we need to talk about Starry Sky Ripper and how it's the Vacoma Flying Dutchman. But <laughs> so the only problem with Starry Sky Ripper is the fact that the pacing is really off. It's the pacing is there's off. moments where you think you're gonna die, and there's moments where it's like God, can this thing even make it, it to the element? It was like, like crawling. Yeah, which one is it? So the 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 one and a half zero G roll on Flying Dinosaur was perfect. Okay, let's start at the beginning, right? Let's start with the drop. Drop is really cool the because it's the straight. only straight down drop on any to be in Totally straight. Like you're literally just like. On top of the top of the lift hill, and then you just dive straight down yeah. towards the ground, and you touch the ball, yeah. you know, you hug the ground, you have a horseshoe, and then you and then you cross underneath the lift hill by ways of the weird triple inversion thingy. Yeah, you so flying dinosaur perfected that inversion because it goes through it at the perfect speed. This ride, Star Sky Ripper, even though it was the first coaster to have it, and when that ride was announced, and like when people started talking, they were like, "Oh my god, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen! It's the best." Invert or the best uh, like BNM flyer ever, it goes through it kind of slow. It it slugs its way through. You kind of hang there, and then you get to the bottom of that shit, and, and then you, you go, go through the vertical loop. loop. And it's super intense. I thought my eyes. So were there's going like to there's like no winding because you go way too slow in my opinion through that first element. element. And then you go way too fast to the loop. So yeah. like there's no way of like oh let's speed up you the loop so tiny bit. Like there's no really there's no choice. Yeah. There's no there's no. And that's just there's no nothing else to say except. But then after the vertical pacing. loop, you have a, a very fine Dutchman-ish element. Yeah, where the, like, like you the, go the from fly to die, fly to die. Well, to, from, from the light to fly <laughs> horseshoe, where you just kind of like lay down and you just like kind of spin around and like yeah. in this turn where they had to build a bunch of nets because it's so intense. It's unfortunate. Yeah, um, because people were like losing their shit. And like, then you have up. a little water flyby, and then you have a you know turn into a double the double Corkscrew which is really kind of neat because that feels a lot like the be that feels a lot more like, like Firehawk and Batwing. Yeah, it feels a lot more like in like the Facoma ones than it does yeah. the B and M's, which always do the hardline thing and going like around almost like an SLC kind of double twist situation. Like, is I'm really serious. Fun. When you said you said that to me, you were know, like, "This the is the Flying Dutchman of B and M inverts," and that blew my mind because I was like, "You're so right. It's the only B and M flyer. Sorry, Flying Dutchman of B and M flyers. It's the only one with a vertical loop." It's the only one with that double barrel roll thing. And it's the only one that has, as their first big element, a giant horseshoe. It's a giant horseshoe coming up. Yeah. I mean, in so many ways, it was so... The sequence of elements, it's it's too obvious. But, yeah, cool ride. Didn't like it as much as I would have liked to. But I still really liked it. But it's still a cool ride. It's just not... Flying Dino and Tatsu. I, I guess, guess that's it. We've talked about... Wow, that was easy. I mean, it's not a really There really aren't that many line. flyers. The only flyer... I mean, there's also not many dive coasters. So we start with those. Yeah. still, you know... Yes. Before we are four hours. I don't know. This is a little bit... This is going to be a little bit of a longer podcast because we have dive coasters and mega coasters to talk about. But it's the B&M showcase. We know you guys wanted to hear this. And by that, you guys, I mean myself. <laughs> Listening to this back later. Well, um, dive coasters. <laughs> so for this section, we decided to split up dive coasters into three sections. Yeah. Because the dive coaster of all the B&M product has seen the most evolution to the point where I almost feel like it's three different three product, product lines. lines. So Absolutely. we'll start with phase, phase one, one Oblivion, Oblivion and, and G5. G5. I will cover this phase because not only am I the only one to have ridden either of these, I've ridden both of them. And I love them. Um, they don't do very much, but they're cool. Oblivion is such a vibe. It has a great aesthetic. 
it's sort of, you know, if you, if, Oblivion is one of those rides where, like, again, if you get caught up in, like, what the ride does not do, um, it can feel frustrating and unsatisfying. Coming off of Nemesis, yes, of course Oblivion feels like a fraction of a ride. But you know what that ride does do? It does throw you 180 feet into a 120-foot tunnel, because the ride can only be 60 feet tall because of that tree line thing. If you, if you treat it like a crazy souped-up drop tower that, like, does things that you'd never thought a drop tower could do, yeah. or a coaster for that matter, then you can really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. The Tower of Terror, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Giovanella. That's, that's one to talk about. Um, and then G5. It's funny. I can't believe that G5 is a, is a straight clone of Oblivion because so much of G5 is above ground, unlike Oblivion. Oh, Goldberg City. Retinga Junction. Retinga Junction. I'm tired. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sadness. Cape Cobra's yeah. opening in yes. Iowa next year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Woohoo! Okay, anyway. Um, but, yeah, so G5 is an identical... It's mirror image of Oblivion, but it's identical. But you wouldn't know based on the fact that you can actually see almost all of G5. It has a small tunnel at the bottom. Um, but you really feel that 180-foot drop. But, yeah, again, the ride's over in a flash. They're really cool. They're neat rides. Um, it's no surprise that the product line went nowhere for half a decade because it was just oblivion and g5 feel like such little prototypes like such little like something that you build at the plant just to like test Test the 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 track bed and the trains they feel very small when you look at where the dive coaster would eventually go so there's a bit of a pause and then the dive coaster kind of picked up steam again when shikra was built shikra um so we started it's kind of like pulled the plug and said, okay, we're going to go in, in this direction. And the interesting thing about Chikra is, is that it opened with the same trains as Oblivion and G5, um, and then were shortly after replaced with the Florida trains once Griffin opened. So yeah, that way like three Shikra years had, later. That way Chikra yeah. had the vertical record, where it was actually vertical and the height, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then Griffin could go ahead and take the Florida's record. Oh, yes, because Oblivion and G5 don't actually go to 90 degrees. And so... Chikra did. Once Griffin then reached its point of like the marketing hype being over and the records being over, then they also added those trains onto yeah. Shikra. Now that whole project, I don't think we'll ever see some park do that again because it's such a mo- so expensive marketing. Oh, let's have five trains and then a couple years later, which was two or three years later, it was, three it was years really later. short after. Yeah, because let's buy five new trains. Griffin and then opened in two thousand seven. You know, well. So for Shikra, they did it in two thousand eight, which is three years after its two thousand five opening. But yeah. Anyway, um, and then of course there is the uh, Chanlong dive coaster at Chanlong. Uh, not, not, yeah, sorry, yeah, Chanlong, Chanlong Paradise over in Guangzhou. That um, one had the height, length, speed record for dive coasters until Yukon Striker. Even though it doesn't really do much more than like Shikra or like for that matter the Shikra clone type in Shanghai, thing in Shanghai, the ten across Shikra style clone. There's only three ten across. B&M dive coasters, and I don't think we'll see any more of them. Griffin was cool. I mean, it's super graceful, but Griffin is a ride that I off, like. I can easily forget that I've ridden. Um, I guess because she, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of that once. way, honestly. Also with the with um, Shanghai Happy Valley's dive coaster and dive the coaster, and and coaster. I feel like yeah. I'm kind of like that with all of them because there's not a whole lot to there's them. Just, there's so the big, I, yeah, I think like between the four of them. In fact, you could put the one in South Korea, the eight across Griffin clone, probably in this conversation, and say that between the five of these, ten across looping 
B and M dive coasters. Sheikra is still the best yeah. one because oh, of the eight. setting. Sheikra's eight. Uh, eight or eight or oh, yeah, because yeah, the one in South Korea is also to eight. And then there's the two different dive coasters. <laughs> and, then there's, and then there's Valraven, which so is Valraven, like, kind of in the same like, scope, same size, but of course Vesta Strains. And then the same thing goes for um, Yukon Striker, which does Stryker a lot seems more. Really cool. Seems almost like the transition point into Phase Three. Yeah. Which, while it came after Phase Three already started, Phase Three is what we call <clears throat> the Sister Cross Phase. So that's rides like Baron, which does have the classic restraints, mm-hmm. uh, but also rides like Krake. Um, in My Germany. first coaster, yeah. And then, of course, um, Oblivion, the Dark Hole. It's mm-hmm. Gardalons. Uh, flying over Asparagus, or whatever it's called, at Happy Valley. Chengdu. Chengdu. And yeah. then you have um, the new ones like Valkyria and Emperor yeah. at Seawood San Diego. Is Valkyria 8 across? No, it's 6. It is 6? Yeah, it's pretty much like, it's pretty much like Emperor. Wait, I'm going to double check. Anywho, I can't keep so up. it's just... You know, it's the smaller scale, smaller inversions, but they also do a little more. It's not just drops, it's drops, inversions, you know, elements beyond, beyond the well, drop. Well, Yukon Striker seems like such a cool ride. Crossover. That's, a, that's like a wing coaster, dive coaster hybrid. I feel like wing coasters and dive coasters, like, take a lot of cues from each other. As time has gone on, they've become more alike than they are dissimilar. And I think that's for the better. I'm really curious about um, Dr. Diabolical's cliffhanger and the ways in which that ride, the second inversion on that ride gives me total wing coaster vibes, just like how a lot of Yukon Striker does. Um, what am I looking up? Valkyria. But yeah, I feel like the six-car B&M dive coasters open up the opportunity for parks to build like these narrow little short-stature... Um, uh, yeah, you're right. Yep, six six across. Like these narrow, like statured B and M floorless coasters. Like a tradition. Like a ride like Emperor is a great example of how the sit down, like the sit down looping coaster box has changed. It went from being rides like an Aero Looper to a ride like Kumba to like a floorless coaster like Medusa to now we have Emperor. It's the new generation of like it's a looping coaster. It's floorless. It also has a vertical drop. The vertical drop and the steep lift are not just flashy and thrilling, but space efficient. Yeah, and they're part of a much larger product beyond just the drop being the selling point. Yeah, just kind of so yeah, the drop is just the beginning, figuratively and literally, with the Dive Coaster product line now. So yeah, let's move over to the okay. last product All line, right. which is the Mega Coasters. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we're. I guess I didn't put the Mega Coasters last on purpose, but I think it's also a good place to... To wrap, so, to wrap up the conversation, because I feel like for a lot of people, their number one B&M, for a lot of people, is a B&M hypercoaster. Raging Bull and Apollo's Chariot are great examples of when your prototype also is, like, virtually the peak. Like, they knocked it out of the park so well with both of those coasters. Apollo's Chariot, I think I like Apollo... I might even like... I think I like Apollo's Chariot better than Fury. Like... Fury 325 was my favorite B&M for a long time, and, like, my favorite hypercoaster, airtime t- coaster type thing. But honestly, Apollo's Chariot left such an impression, and that ride is aging so well. And then we have our Raging Bull rides that we got. Which, I really summer. like Raging Bull. I mean, I like both of them a lot because they're so much more character. They're so classic. They're almost like the first B&M inverts, you know, they're just like a yeah. different breed. They're clearly 90s kids. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, those rides, they got it so right. Nitro, the only thing that stands out for me for Nitro, and I guess we just need to ride it again, but like, Nitro was finally, was when B&M finally was able to like shed the pre-drop, which was a bittersweet moment, because the pre-drop was such a B&M signature. Well, the back row. I feel like the pre-drop on Apollo's Chariot and Raging Bull is like one of the best moments on those rides, but it's definitely a bit more of aesthetic moment when you have your normal parabolic lift hill and drop and so nitro did that nitro is objectively a good ride it's just not one that we think i just like the support structure a lot i don't know what the hell they were doing it's like the one-off support structure situation where it's like giant a shapes and it's just it looks ugly sorry i don't yeah i I don't know i think nitro is overrated personally but then, like, we're not the biggest B&M mega coaster people anyway, because after the 90s kids, like, when we're not talking about Raging Bull and Apollo's Chariot and, like, a couple of oddball coasters, the the the, the quality and level of interest for us tapers off I think I'm more interested in the unique ones, such as, like, Hollywood Dream. Yeah. So, like, doing the, first of all, backdrop to the awesome, but also just doing a like, compact, um, hyper-style, smaller B&M, um, you know, long train Mega coasters, and the airtime really on that ride is banging. It is pretty good. Like, don't let the size and stature of that thing fool you, because it packs a punch. It's way more interesting than. I mean, there was there was a period where like, B and M hyper coasters either weren't being built or they weren't really. That, I mean, Silver Star is is a cool ride. It looks nice. The I think it were, I think the most thing you think about is when it opened. It was such a unique thing yeah. for all of Europe. Now with Shambhala, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, well, and then, you know, it's not there was a the four continent's year, king anymore. After Silverstar, there was a four-year gap of no B&M hypers, and then Six Flags built two. The Goliath at Six Flags over Georgia, and the one at Laron. Laron, we haven't ridden. It looks cute. It looks like the most straightforward-looking coaster ever. And then, um, I, people swear by Goliath at, 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 over Georgia. I love that ride. I've ridden it way more times than I can count. I feel like it rattles really bad. <laughs> Like to the point, not as bad it's as oh, cross over the park and then yeah. leaves the park and it goes back. Not and has as bad that, as the Great Return, dumbass, freaking Diamondback at Kings Island, but it definitely has a rattle. I mean, let's talk about the um, Kings Island yeah, Simulator. The Kecko, the the Kecko Sextet. Oh, that's a weird sounding word, but it is. Anyway, sextet. so Behemoth. <laughs> so first of all, let's talk about the the the, the V Seater. So you have Behemoth, Intimidator, and. Diamondback, Diamondback rattles, and so it's not Shambhala, a favorite. Yeah. Um, um, Behemoth is fine. I don't, I didn't love it. That's one that we wrote it, and I'm like, if I could, I couldn't tell you a damn thing about it. But then Intimidator and Carol I actually I quite like, and then uh, which is funny because I feel like that's the least talked about. Because at the same time, of course, Carowinds is Fury at two twenty five, which is then the most talked about yeah. B and M. Hyper mega coaster. Also, it didn't help that King's Dominion's Intimidator was like way more interesting. There was yeah. just nothing to be said about Carowinds' Intimidator at the time. But yeah, I feel like of the three, it's aged the best. And then yeah, there was uh, Leviathan is also is cool. I like it better than any of the three hyper B and M coasters at those parks. But it's still uh, it feels like it's just getting started and then it's over. I don't know. I don't know if I would take it over Orion. I need to ride both of them again before I can decide. Fury is the obvious good B&M giga, like the one that everyone loves. I think there's a couple of people that like Orion better, but I think they just really like Kings Island. And that's fair, because we really like Kings Island too. But yeah, and there's not really much to say about Fury that hasn't already been said, except that 
that ride has the substance. It's got that length. And I love that so much of it is low to the ground. It's such a huge departure from like a typical hypercoaster experience. I wish that the difference, like the way that Intimidator and Fury complement each other by being so different, I wish you could say the same about like Orion and Diamondback. Whereas like Orion does a lot of high off the ground stuff too. It doesn't feel like as much of a stylistic departure from Diamondback as Fury feels from Intimidator. The main takeaway from Orion is that it's actually, like, pleasant, whereas Diamondback, for me, is just, like, I feel like my fillings are going to fall out of my teeth. <laughs> it, the wheels on that ride, I just I just don't. I can't. And then I guess we'll finish up with the... The um, final two. The last so the two. more unique, newer style... Um, I keep losing... Sorry, he keeps losing the computer mouse. Wow, nobody has to know that. Well, Anywho, no, yeah. so Maple and Canemonium. So the newer, um, sleeker, yeah, the shorter sleek, train, snappier, yeah. um, perhaps smaller scale, yeah. even though they are still like really large coasters. They don't take up as much space. Yeah. Um, B&M coasters. So Mako um, and Kanemoni, very similar in very many ways. They, they ride very similarly. And I think the preference really depends on where do you crave more? Do you crave more unique elements or do you crave more airtime? If you're looking for the best airtime, I think Mako is still your, still your boy. Yeah. But if you're looking for some uniquer elements and maybe kind of like, you know, doing things a little differently, then um, I like Kanemoni better for that, for that reason because it has that weird... Helix thingy and a weird like off-axis dive off the overall pace. And then it has that weird does. circle thing around this, you know. Because Candy doesn't have that mid-course. Mako may sure. as well be over after the mid-course break run for me. So it, it was running, the today it was running pretty well to the point where like I felt there was air on the, on the yeah, it, was, yeah. it wasn't trimming as much on the mid-course. We actually so didn't was, ride it together. I and there was <laughs> air on the, um, on the, you know, post-mid-course well, run. That's good so like know. it was actually pretty good. Sean rode Mako with my brother-in-law while I entertained my nieces with my sister. It was a nice moment. Um, well, that's good to know. I really, I mean, I love Mako. I, it's not my favorite, but man, I mean, it's, it's hard to complain. It's a good ride, for sure. Candemonium, I just like even more for some reason. I think my favorite part about Candemonium is not having a mid-course and just like no breaking of the pacing, um, on that ride, even though it may not have overall as much going on. I just really, I just really liked that ride and I look forward to riding it again now that the entrance plaza and stuff for that part of Hershey Park will have been completed. Um... And then, of course, by going to Hershey Park for Candemonium, we are also going to Hershey Park for Sky Rush. So don't forget to check out our episode <laughs> on Intimate, our Intimate Showcase episode. Yeah. It's been a long episode already, so we're going to wrap it up. We appreciate you Make sticking sure it to, out for this um, one. Stick it out on our YouTube as well, because we can start a YouTube. Yes. I want you to check out all of our vlogs, all of our on-ride videos. There'll be some more coming um, in the next couple of weeks. We're going to go to San Diego next week. Everybody goes all right. Emperor. Right, Emperor, and uh, go back to one of our favorite SeaWorld parks, It'll be fun. It's um, one of our favorite parks, period. And, like, you know, in San Diego, we love, we love San Diego. Park. So we're excited for that little one trip. One of our favorite cities. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to be going through the Netherlands and Germany and maybe France um, on our a little, bit France, on a little Euro trip. So we're excited for that. Um, so we've got lots of content coming up and we'll obviously spread yeah. all the love on TikTok. And we're going to Disneyland in June. Totally. Disneyland, Disneyland. Yeah, so we'll share all that love on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, follow us on TikTok. Twitter, the Get us to 100,000 followers. And YouTube. So um, we look forward to to sharing all that with you. TikTok, so close. So, so freaking close. close. By the time you listen to this, you may already be at 100,000 followers. Uh, man, I hope so. That's, I hope be, so. That's, that's, that's ambitious, but I like it. 
Alright folks, it's been a pleasure. So thank you for joining us on this episode of the uh, Cozy Kings Radio. Make sure to check out our mini-sodes every Monday, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye! Bye!